Hello and welcome to the Essence Seeker podcast. This is your host, Drew Roche. You might be wondering where I've been lately. I've been quite busy with some projects at university and also preparing for a symposium in Peru in October later this year, in the National Library of Peru. The title of the symposium is Art and the Sacred. And what's happening there is all scholars and artists from around the world are meeting to present different arts, traditions, cultures, around the world throughout history with the intention of showing how art connects humanity to the sacred. So I've been working on a paper for that uh, entitled The Sacred Art of Indigenous Australians, its history, philosophy and spirituality and we've been working on making a video for that as well. Um, so that's what I've been up to. Uh, this this episode of the podcast, this is episode 8, and it is called Mysticism and Bhakti Yoga. This was a class given uh, last Saturday at the Hare Krishna Temple in Newangela, Australia. There was just a small group of us there. We didn't know each other before the discussion. Um, so we just go through a verse from Bhagavad Gita, chapter 5, text 24. Where it describes uh, how a yogi or someone on the um, a yogi or a mystic is on the Brahmabhuta platform. So we're going to talk about what is the Brahmabhuta platform, what is a mystic, what is mysticism, what is bhakti yoga. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. I've got a few projects on the go, a few a few uh, episodes I'm preparing. I look forward to sharing them with you. Okay. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoy. Oh yes, before we get started, you should know that this episode is actually available on YouTube with the accompanying slides as well. So if you want to watch instead with the slideshow, you can follow the link in the description of this podcast uh, to that video. Okay. Hare Krishna. Speaking from the Bhagavad Gita, today we're going to read the verse... Chapter 5, text 24. So first we'll read the Sanskrit. Yonta shukonta aramas tatanta jyoti eveya sayogi brahma nirvanam brahmabhuto digachati. English translation. One whose happiness is within, who is active and rejoices within, and whose aim is inward, is actually the perfect mystic. He is liberated in the Supreme, and ultimately he attains the Supreme. This is the purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, Unless one is able to relish happiness from within, how can one retire from external engagements meant for deriving superficial happiness? A liberated person enjoys happiness by factual experience. He can, therefore, sit silently at any place and enjoy the activities of life from within. Such a liberated person no longer desires external material happiness. This state is called Brahmabhuta, attaining which one is assured of going back to Godhead, back to home. So, 
when I'm speaking on Bhagavad Gita or Srimad Bhagavatam or on anything really, any philosophical discussion, I like to speak with people rather than speaking to people. So we have a small group here today, but I'm hoping that we can go through this study of the Bhagavad Gita together rather than me telling you something. I will share some things I know and maybe you can share some things I know and together we learn. So my name is Dhruva, Dhruva Ananda Das, or Dhruva for short. What is your name? Uh, Again? Hanil. Hanil. Yeah. And your name? Nipti. Nipti? And your name in the back? Gopi. Gopi Gita. Gopi Gita. Out the back there? Tom. Tom. And Priya? Radha Priya. Nice to meet you all. That's nice to be here with you this evening. Are you from this area or are you visiting? I will be visiting for like two days. Okay. From Brisbane? Yeah. Okay. Yourself, Gopi Gita? You live here, yeah. And Tom, you're staying here in Ashram? Yes. Yeah? Cool. Where are you from originally? Victoria. Victoria. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I grew up in this area. I lived on this property as a child, but now I live in in the town nearby, Wollombar, with my family. And I've lived in Brisbane for some, like five years in total. And I also lived in Melbourne for two years. So yes, today we're, we're speaking on one verse of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter five, text 24. And yeah, it, it was mentioned in the verse here that one, who's, one who finds happiness within and actively rejoices within is actually the perfect mystic. So I wanted to just first of all talk a little about a bit about what is a mystic. What what do you think a mystic or mysticism is according to your understanding? Deities. Deities? Okay. Um any anyone else like to give what if I say like this person is a mystic? What do you think it is about the person that makes them a mystic? Performs yoga, performs some mystic, some supernatural powers. Okay, very nice. Yeah, actually, that was in the word-for-word -word translation, wasn't it? Uh, it was uh, yogi was translated as a mystic. Yeah. So yes, very good. So I have some images here. Here's uh, looks like a Christian mystic who's. You know, hearing from the angels or hearing from God directly, yeah. And here also, uh, do you know what this picture is here, this image? Uh, yeah, it's uh, from the Mahabharata. Yeah, do you know who is, who's speaking there? What's the scene going on? Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know his name, but it was against, the, the battle was against uh, uh, good and someone who just wanted, wanted everything and he's the father of the person who wanted everything and the guy in front of him is like has don't know how to explain it but he has visions and he can share them with people yeah he's sharing the fight yes with his father yes exactly on the left like you said the father of the Kauravas is Dhritarashtra yeah. and on the right is Sanjaya yeah. and Sanjaya is, has this ability to see what's happening mm -hmm. on the battlefield and he's telling the father who is blind Yes, so there's, there's a mystical power, isn't it? That he can, he can uh, see like that. Okay, so just quickly I'm going to give a dic dictionary definition of a mystic is, or mysticism is belief that union 
Union, we know yoga means union, yeah? Belief that union with or absorption into the deity or the absolute or the spiritual apprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. It's not a bad dictionary uh, definition, isn't it? It's pretty much in line with our understanding of a yogi. And this is Prabhupada's... Well, Prabhupada has so many quotes on mysticism and yogis and what is a mystic, but this is one that I took of his. Yoga means the connecting link between the soul and the super soul, or the supreme and the minute living creatures. Lord Sri Krishna is the supreme, the personality of Godhead. Being, therefore, the ultimate object of yoga, Krishna's name is Yoga Ishvara, the master of yoga. Just going back to the purport, we see the last sentence here. As Prabhupada is describing the state of this happiness within and being active within, he's describing this state as the Brahma Bhuta platform. So do you know any other famous, or do you know what verse he's quoting or famous verses where this Brahma Bhuta platform is described by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita? That's right, yes. That first, that purport of chapter 5, text 24 was very short, but I think we can find some more in, in the purport of this verse, of eight, chapter 18, text 54. Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Nasochati Nakan Kankshati Sama Saveshu Bhuteshu Mad Bhaktim Labhate Param. And the translation is One who is thus transcendentally situated at once realizes the supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. He never laments or desires to have anything. He is equally disposed towards every living entity. In that state, he attains pure devotional service unto me. So, what I've done is separated the purport of this verse into sentences or groups of sentences. And we can read them and contemplate them and talk about them back and forth. Okay, so this is starting Srila Prabhupada's purport to that verse. To the impersonless, achieving the Brahma Bhuta stage, becoming one with the Absolute, is the last word. Do you know what that means? For the impersonless, they actually want to... Do you know what Brahman is? The idea of Brahman? Or do you know what Brahman means? Universe. Yeah, like universal first principle. Yeah. Uh, what everything, all the variety comes out of. You could say like, it's the impersonal aspect of the Supreme. And from that impersonal aspect, many other energies coming, many other forms. There's also a link between the jiva and the, and the Brahman as being qualitatively the same. So you can say like Brahman is the, the level you come to once you disconnect or fall back behind what is matter, what is material. And what is material is always changing. It's an energy of Krishna, but it's always changing. It's always transforming. Yeah? Behind that is Brahman, which is eternal. Yeah, and the jiva, the, the, spirit, the individual souls, us, we are also eternal, qualitatively the same. So the impersonalists, when they come to that level, their desire is to actually merge with the Supreme in oneness, to have no distinction, no variety. Yeah? So for the impersonalists, this, uh, this merging, the Brahma Buddha, to, to, the, to the impersonalists, the Brahma Buddha stage means to merge with the Supreme. Yeah? But for the personalist, Prabhupada is saying, or the pure devotee, one has to go still further, pass through the Brahman, 
to become engaged in pure devotional service. This is hinting to a reality beyond Brahman, beyond the impersonal feature of the Supreme. Yeah? This means that one who is engaged in pure devotional service to the Supreme Lord is already, already in a state of liberation called Brahmabhuta, oneness with the Absolute. So Prabhupada's making the point there that one who performs, performs devotional service is already there. Bhakti yoga, devotional service, or doing your activities to please the Lord, to please Krishna, to please God, you're already achieving what the yogis take many years in meditation and austerities to achieve. So someone who does action in Krishna consciousness, bhakti yoga, this is why bhakti is glorified, because it's a quick, quick path, right? So Prabhupada is hinting already in the purport there. So we have uh, someone meditating, meditating and seeing the Lord in the heart, and this is the impersonalists, they make the mistake of thinking, oh, I am him, yeah? Then we have, this is Dhruva Maharaj, He's a young boy that was meditating in the forest and the Lord Vishnu appeared to him. But Dhruva didn't make that mistake of, oh, I am him. He still saw, he saw himself, no, I am his servant. And he got the conch shell placed on his head and then started offering beautiful prayers. Yeah? And then we have the, the Bhakti Yogi. This is Prabhupada's a, a, a perfect example of someone who every activity he performs He's in devotional service, and he's achieving the same as more auto, you know, it, 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 automatically and beyond more than the yogis, more than the mystics. Yeah, this last sentence, Prabhupada saying, this means that one who is engaged in pure devotional service to the Supreme Lord is already in a state of liberation called Brahmabhuta, oneness with the Absolute. Okay, so we're going to start to see a distinction here between the oneness of a bhakta and the oneness of an impersonalist. Yeah? So Prabhupada says here, without being one with the Supreme, the Absolute, one cannot render service unto Him. In the Absolute conception, there is no difference between the served and the servitor. Yet the distinction is there in a higher spiritual sense. So see how he's talking about how there's a oneness when people are working together in a relationship. So he's talking about how the for the devotee who's serving Krishna, he is one with Krishna in that relationship, in that interaction. But there's still distinction in a higher spiritual sense. Right? And if you think about this, if you're going to serve another person, another human being, even though it feels like there's space between you, you have relatives, mother and son, is it? Yeah. So when you serve your son, there's, it feels like there's space. But in order for you to actually contact him with your service, there has, it has to join. It's contacting through service, right? So it's a oneness in that sense. Yeah? In the material concept of life, when one works for sense gratification, there is misery. But in the absolute world, when one is engaged in pure devotional service, there is no misery. Okay, we're moving on to some different points now in, in Prabhupada's purport of that verse, 1854. So Prabhupada's talking about how if one works only for sense gratification, means only to enjoy the sensory experience, then they, there is misery. So do you agree with this statement? Have you experienced any misery in your life? Do you think it's a common experience for everyone or just some people? What do you think, sir? What? Can you give some examples of what 
it doesn't have to be personal examples, but what are the things that get us all? It's really hard to escape you know, some types of miseries. So whatever we try to achieve in this material world, like you know, we get dissatisfaction or something at some stage, that's a misery. Mm. There's this one saying, right? It's like, you know, sweet rice? I'm not sure what you call it in, in India. Kheer. Kheer, yeah, sweet rice, so nice, right? Creamy, condensed milk, it's rice being boiled down and sweet. So there's this, uh, this saying that uh, material experience is like sweet rice but with sand in it. So there's some pleasure there but there's always something scratching your teeth and disrupting. There's something, something not quite right. Even when, you, even when we live a very opulent or how to say a blessed life, if we've been blessed in good family, wealth, you know, and, and good health, good friends, good association, still there's always something, some back pain, some some confrontation, some family troubles, there's always something, right? But in the absolute world, when one is engaged in pure devotional service, there's no misery. What Prabhupada's gonna start getting into here is talking about how one who is, who is on the Brahma Bhutta platform is gonna be in the same world here with us, but not experiencing misery. And it will look like they're having the same experience as everyone else, but they're not gonna be experiencing misery. And the keys to how that works is, gonna, is coming. The devotee in Krishna consciousness has nothing for which to lament or, des or desire. Since God is full, a living entity who is engaged in God's service in Krishna consciousness becomes also full in himself. He is just like a river cleansed of all dirty water. It's a nice meditation I was trying to find, a picture of a, a clear river, but you can imagine these Japanese meditation gardens with the clear water and the fishes swimming and how nice it is for your consciousness Right, this pure, clear water. So it's a nice meditation for this point. Because a pure devotee has no thought other than Krishna, he is naturally always joyful. He does not lament for any material loss or aspire for gain because he is full in the service of the Lord. He has no desire for material enjoyment because he knows that every living entity is a fragmental part and parcel of the Supreme Lord and therefore eternally a servant. Let's talk about this a little further. We all have desires for material enjoyment, don't we? Right? I do. There's a connection made here that because he knows that every living entity is a fragmental part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, therefore he has no desire for material enjoyment. How do you think that might work? I mean, I have my logic, my ideas, my way of understanding, my way of connecting all the information, all the teachings given in the Vedas and given by Srila Prabhupada. But I don't want to just jump straight in and tell you my understanding. I'd like to hear what you have to share. So how do you think that's possible? If by knowing that every living entity is a fragmental part of the Supreme, how does that take away your desire for material enjoyment? If no one has anything, any inspiration coming, we'll just move on. We'll move on and we'll tie it all in together as we, as we go along. He does not see in the material world, someone is higher and someone is lower. Higher and lower positions are ephemeral. Does anyone know what ephemeral means? It's ending. Some stage is ending. Ending? Yeah. Uh-huh. Positions as ephemeral, as ending, as at some point will end. And a devotee has nothing to do with ephemeral appearances or disappearances. For him, stone and gold are of equal value. This is the Brahma Bhutta stage. 
And this stage is attained very easily by a pure devotee. So looking at this stone here and this gold, like what is the feeling you get when you see gold? Even, it's not even really in front of you, even a picture, it gives some kind of interest, right? I mean, if I, put, if I placed a rock and gold in front of you on a table and said you, 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 know, you take as you like, which one would you take? Of course. Yes, of course, right? So we're, but what is gold? Let's dig in here a little bit. What is gold actually? Uh, a material that's rare to find, so it's uh, more costly and you can get more money out of it. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a, because it's a rarer material, you can attach more value to it. I mean, we know that gold and silver and different metals have uses in, say, things like electronics. So there's that you know, practical value as well. But way before that, gold was very popular because it was rare. And it's because it's rare, we can attach some value to it. So what is that value that people are attaching to it? What is that really when you, when you analyze it? Money. Money also, money like currency is a, it's also like plastic and paper money is also some, we, we attach some value to it. Like we have a hundred dollar note, we know that's going to get a hundred dollars worth of gulab jamans. <laughs> right? But how? It's just paper, plastic, right? But there's some agreement amongst people that it has this much value, right? And that can be changed. It's quite, when you, when you analyze it, it's quite, uh, it's not fixed, right? It's some idea, it's a concept, it's ideas, yeah? The same thing with gold. I mean, really, gold is just atoms, right? Just like the stone is atoms. Yeah, and if you break it down smaller, it's just vibrating particles, like subatomic particles. But we have an idea, a concept, a programming. We've been programmed to think, oh, this is value, valuable. I want it. It's going to give me enjoyment, right? So we've been programmed in that way. Would you agree? Because someone who had no knowledge of what gold is, they might just throw it, like some long time ago, some tribal person, maybe shiny, I can, you know, put it, up, put it somewhere because it's shiny, it looks good. Maybe a bird might pick it up because it's shiny. But if you don't know, if you don't have the knowledge, the, the, if your idea hasn't been pro programmed into you, the concept, then you're just going to see it like any other rock, right? Especially when it hasn't been refined and it's coming straight out of the soil. It's, you know, we see some, a lot of crystals here. Some of them are so... Um, common that they're not, uh, they don't have high value, but some are rare. But the value of the gold is just an idea that's been programmed into us. So a yogi understands that, right? So a yogi understands that this is just the programming. I've been programmed to believe this. Uh, and I don't, yes, I could take this and buy a yacht or a Ferrari and get some, some enjoyment. But for him, he sees that enjoyment also is just an illusion. It's a trick. Even, the, even whatever he gets through that means, he's going to see it as a trick. So the yogi doesn't want to be tricked, right? So that's how he's seeing the rock and the gold as the same thing. Of course, a bhakta is going to see the gold and he's going to think, well, I can make nice jewelry for Krishna with this, right? Because it's beautiful. I can put it on Krishna's body and he will make, he will make it more beautiful. Yeah? Or I can use it to buy some offerings to do the, the puja in my house. Or, you know, cook nice food for Krishna like that, right? So a bhakti, a, a, a bhakta doesn't reject things artificially. But it's important to see how the yogi detaches himself from the world with this understanding of how 
ideas and concepts are not real. It's something that we agree to and then we get entangled in the world. And then more misery because it goes up and it goes down. We have duality, happiness and, and distress. Yeah? In, the, in that stage of existence, the idea of becoming one with the Supreme Brahman and annihilating one's individual, individuality becomes hellish. The idea of attaining the heavenly kingdom becomes phantasmagoria. It's like fantasy, yeah? Or in this, using that same logic that I was just giving about the gold and the rock, for someone on the Brahma Buddha platform, they understand that it's in the heavenly realm, you know, the devatas and the, you know, they're very opulent, very powerful, they have so much facility for much better enjoyment than we have here. But the yogi seeing that it's just going to be the same story, the same situation. I will be there. Instead of wearing my suit, I'll have nice gold, you know, silk dhoti and jewels and armor and a moustache. You have to have a moustache if you're a devata, you know, like Indra, you have a nice moustache and, and many servants in there, you know, drinking the, the, the rasa, whatever they're, whatever they're drinking up there. For most of us, it's very appealing, right? Oh, sounds good. Yeah, definitely. But the yogi, he's thinking... Through his practice, he's seeing that, well, when I get there, it's just going to be another, another level, another, a different kind of network of illusion and entanglement. Just like in, even in this, you know, for some people to think about the heavenly planets, is like maybe some fantasy, some mythology, right? You, do you go to university yourself? You at university yet? Uh, grade 10. Grade 10, right. So when you go to university, you're going to be with a lot of young people who think they know everything and the teachers, no one's teaching about the Vedas or God at the university. It's more about material science, material philosophy, um, how to make money, increase the wealth, right? So they're going to say, yes, you know, this story from India is mythology, yeah? So, okay, let's not even use that as an example. Let's just see in, 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 on this earth, um, we see there's different levels of, like, situation of how much, how much wealth you have and how much power you have to enjoy the world, right? So we see the very famous people, very good looks, good actors. There are many people worship, worshiping them. Download the, the movies. If you see them on the street, like, wow. Oh, you know, follow them on Instagram and all these things, right? So they're like worshiping them like devotees, yeah? So we see, even, even if you don't want to try to, even, even if it's difficult to understand these, these realms that we don't have access to, you can see it happening right here. Okay, I will work very hard. I'll do my austerity, my tapasya, to get this position of fame and wealth. But you, a yogi knows that even there, I'm still going to have the same set of problems, just in a different combination or a different, uh, it's going to appear in different forms. Big, like you have a $10,000 car, you pay your insur insurance, maybe $1,000 a year or something. You have your Ferrari, $250,000, you're going to pay like $10,000 insurance a year. You know? So it's like same, it evens out. So same in the, in the heavenly realm with Lord Indra and all these devotees, they're still going to have this sand in the sweet rice. Yeah? So someone on the Bra Brahma Buddha platform understands that. And someone on the Brahma Buddha platform, for, for them, the senses are like serpents whose poison teeth are broken. So they're saying like the senses can't get you anymore. You know, this is why we do the fasting. When we, when we fast, do some fasting, we're actually doing some austerity, we're taming the senses so they don't become our master anymore because we have the urge to eat and the urge to 
connect our senses with the objects. Like we want to see beautiful things with our eyes and hear beautiful music with our ears, taste beautiful food with our tongue and, and touch nice things. So, and they're pulling us along. For sure, everyone experiences this, right? We don't choose to do things. We're just pulled along by this urge. The senses want to come in contact with the object. So someone on the Brahma Bhuta platform, for them the senses become like snakes, poisonous snakes without teeth. They can't bite anyone. They can't get you. They come under control. And you become the master of yourself rather than the senses. As there is no fear of a serpent with broken teeth, there is no fear from the senses when they are automatically controlled. Oh yeah, see I have here, like, yeah, look, this college party here. Material enjoyment, heavenly enjoyment. Look, even in the heavens they're fighting over things, you know, fighting over the devitas, the, the suras and asuras are fighting over different things. And then here's a, a picture of a snake with no teeth. The world is miserable for the materially infected person, but for a devotee the entire world is as good as Vaikuntha or the spiritual sky. The highest personality in this material universe is no more significant than an ant for a devotee. It kind of goes in relation to, uh, you know, like a famous person. If you saw a famous person, would you, who, who's, you know, you know, there's people you admire. If you saw them on the street, you would feel this urge, right? Like this admiration and, you know, you even embarrass yourself when you go in front of them because you're so swept away by it. But for someone who has this understanding, for the yogi, he sees everyone equally. Yeah, And this is a point I just want to talk about a little bit was the world is miserable for the materially infected person but for a devotee the entire world is as good as Vaikuntha. So this is, very, this is a very transformative result of practicing yoga. A mystic has this experience. Mysticism really means to understand this is, this is one, one way I put it just recently is like Mysticism is to know what you're not doing, right? We think we are doing all these things in the world. We think we're interacting, you know, moving our hands and doing work and interacting with the world. We think we are doing it, but can you explain how you're doing it? It's actually very difficult to explain how you're doing it. You tell me, like, I have a thought, it moves my hand, and, you know, a lot of it's just speculation. We don't actually know. When it comes down to the real fundamental level, we don't know. So according to the Vedas... The jiva has desire. Desire. The individual, living entities, us, we have desire. We have a desire to experience. And the, the, par, the super soul, Paramatma, facilitates. Yeah? Well, this, like we're talking, we're talking about the impersonal Brahman, is everywhere. So this, you can see it almost like a matrix. Yeah? A matrix, like you know the movie, have you seen the movie Matrix? It's quite old, but you've seen, okay? So it's a whole simulation world, simulated world, and consciousness is in that simulation. Having experiences, but the conscious is not really touching anything. Yeah? So this is what, according to the Vedas, this is how it is. Right? So the, the mystic, the yogi, understands this. And therefore, when he, he understands that all this matrix, this, this, this material world is Krishna's energy, is the energy, is a manifestation of the energy of God, then it becomes spiritual. It's no, no longer material. Because he's seeing it in the correct... Uh, with the correct vision, with the correct bhav, correct attitude, yeah? So then, for him, he's, he's in Vaikuntha. Vaikuntha means without anxiety. Yeah, so when, this, is, this is the transformative experience of a yogi, and this is what makes Krishna consciousness true. It's not a theory, 
when you actually when your experience changes. If your vision of the world changes and your experience in the world changes, then you have a result that's tangible. You might not be able to describe it in language with the words we've been given. You might not be able to give someone else the same experience, but you will, you will have it, and for you it is real. So, so in that way, a yogi, a mystic, someone on the Brahma Bhutta platform, sees everything, he's in Vaikuntha, because he sees everything in relation to Krishna, like that. Okay. Such a stage can be achieved by the mercy of, the Lord, of Lord Chaitanya who preached pure devotional service in this age. Now, as you will know, with the background from India, there's many different forms of yoga and there's many different processes and there's many different goals. Right? Some people want heavenly enjoyment, a better, better life here and now. Some people want it, um, like the Buddhist teaching is to become free from desire, to go into nirvana, into the void, into nothingness. Uh, the impersonalists or the like Shankaracharya is teaching you know, to merge with the Supreme. Um, but the, the Bhakti Yogi, uh, okay, yes. But those processes are all very difficult because they take a lot of time and effort in meditation, in contemplation, in, in, in uh, philosophical speculation. And, you, and it's not certain. You don't know if you're going to achieve the, the goal in the end because it's a long process and it's difficult and there's so many distractions. So Lord Chaitanya has given us the results of that, but also beyond, beyond Brahman realization, simply through devotional service. And devotional service is doing what you do already, but doing it for Krishna, thinking of Krishna like Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. He was a chachya, a warrior. He, you know, the spiritual perfection is not to give up your, your, your nature, your talent, it's to use it for Krishna. So that was the whole purport of Bhagavad Gita. The whole point was Krishna was saying, you have this situation, you use it for me. You fight for me. Yeah? So, that's, so through doing that, we don't have to go to the forest and meditate. We don't have to study all the books. We just do what we're doing for Krishna, for God. We're going to attain that result plus more. We're going to have so much more than we can even conceive, you know, to be in one-on-one -on -one relationship with Krishna. So just quickly, you know, does it, does it sound cool to be a mystic? Would it be nice to have this power, this like... You know, this power to choose how you're going to interact with the world rather than being swept away by it? Does it sound like a good thing to have? Okay, so let's just look quickly at some ways to develop this mysticism within us, this yogic ability. So first of all, in Bhagavad Gita is mentioned jhana yoga. This is, means uh, through meditation. Yeah, so we, we practice every day meditation with mantra, chanting Om, chanting Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna devotees chanting on the japa, Hare Krishna mantra. Jnana Yoga means to, it's the process of um, analysis, of analysis of, of the world. To, the process of Jnana Yoga, you, you understand what, is, what are things and you see I'm not this, right? I'm not, I'm not this room, I'm not these, this, this arm, I'm not this body, I'm not the atoms, right? You keep going and going, oh, I'm consciousness, I am Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, yeah? This is the process of Jnana, but it takes a lot of, you need to study and think and check and all this argument, you know, to see that you can get to the point where you make distinctions and you, you will find consciousness, non-material consciousness. And then bhakti yoga. And bhakti yoga is simply, like I've already said many times, connecting the activities we do <clears throat> to Krishna in a service, loving service mood. And also it's full of festivity and kirtan, dancing, 
uh, nice, nice prasadam, festivals, beautiful colors, beautiful. It's very stimulating for the senses, a very easy process. So a bhakti yogi automatically becomes a mystic, even though many bhakti yogis won't realize that they are a mystic because it's not important. They just want to be with Krishna, with the devotees, do service to each other, relationships. They're not concerned about what level am I at, you know? Am I a mystic? You know, do I have... Yeah, it's kind of... It'll, it'll, it's a surprise because it's, it's secondary. First of all, the, for, the, for the bhakta, for the devotees, they just want to serve Krishna. They're not concerned about these results. These are secondary. They just come... They, they actually serve the devotee. Mukti, liberation, and this mysticism. They're just serving the, the devotee. He's not even interested in them. So... Here we have a nice photo of some kirtan. Here, this is a few years ago. Some of these devotees here in the, in the picture, they're, they're more grown up now. <laughs> but this is uh, Sacred Sounds Kirtan Festival that we have here each year. And we have the Hare Krishna Mantra. It's a very simple process of attaining the results of all the Vedas, of all yogic practice, of all meditation practice, just simply through chanting, congregational chanting. Of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And this was given to us by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Do you know the meaning of Hare Krishna Mantra? We'll finish on, on this. Do you know the meaning? Prabhuji, do you know? Where are you from? No, Prabhuji. And you don't know meaning of Hare Krishna Mantra? What's this? Well, you know Krishna, right? You know Krishna and Rama, yeah? And Hare, so this one word left, maybe, what do you think is meaning of Hare? Not sure? It's okay, I mean, it's okay, then you get to learn, you get to learn something. Well, yeah, sure. Mom is saying it's uh, Yes, it is another, that's right, it is another, yeah, it's, it's like a, um, it's a more general way of saying, it, 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 it is, means the same thing, Hare and, and Radha, it's meaning the energy of, of Krishna. Yeah, so Radha is the, how to say, she's the pinnacle personality of Krishna's energy. You know, first there's Krishna, then there's Radha, and from Radha comes, comes all other manifestations or all the other aspects of Krishna. So she represents the, the energy of God. So when we're chanting, and Rama, so Krishna means all attractive, Rama means um, reservoir of pleasure. Yeah? So when we're chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, what we're doing is we're joining Krishna's energy back with Krishna. Yeah? So this is perfect meditation. When you're chanting this mantra like this, all the things I talked about in this class, talking about the material energies, the different ways of seeing things, Hare Krishna, when we're chanting Hare Krishna, we're, we're giving the, 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 the energies back to God. Yeah? And this is the perfect loop, like this. I am your servant, I am devotee. All these things, whatever you give me, I give it back to you. It's the perfect exchange. Oneness in, in relationship, in service. Okay, so thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to go on this journey with you. And uh, please uh, take prasadam outside in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Jai Shri Prabhupada. Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adhita Radha Shri Adhita Radha
Krishna, 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 Krishna,